If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to the book of Acts, um, chapter 1. We're going to uh, um, preach through this. Uh, want to tag along with us? We would love that. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. Uh, If you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event with the scriptures and the sermon notes and all of that uh, right now. And uh, as I was kind of debating, um, thinking about in my mind and and prayerfully considering kind of where we needed to go this spring, um, Acts was always in the picture uh, because of the things that it... um, the things that it represented and uh, the, the things I think that I, the Lord wants for our church uh, in, this, in this season. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about the heart of this series. Um, the heart of this series is to really capture momentum. So all throughout the text in the book of Acts, we'll see these two things at play. Um, and uh, we, we have certainly seen it uh, in, in the past uh, few months. Uh, we're coming out of ministry post-Harvey. Uh, we're not completely done yet. There's a few things we'll wrap up, but um, we're coming out of ministry uh, post-Harvey with some momentum. Some of you think momentum, my tongue is dragging and my body hurts. Yes, yes, tired, yes. But this kind of spiritual momentum and, and this spiritual momentum looks, these, it looks like this. There's this ongoing inward transformation that happens. And there's ongoing outward ministry. Both of those things have been true um, post-Harvey. And so the idea of this series to really, is to really capitalize on that momentum and, and then see us move forward. I could not think of a better place to go than the book of Acts uh, uh, to capitalize on this. But let me just describe for you uh, kind of some things that, that are at work. That ongoing inward transformation is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and me and the people we'll read about in the book of Acts. Like He really does genuinely change us from the inside out. There is something that he works deep, deep, deep down inside that really does change us on the inside. It makes us to be a different kind of people. But then, uh, but because, uh, and we, again, we, see, we will see this in the text as the text unfolds. We certainly saw it this fall as we did ministry. Um, that deep inward transformation inside of us doesn't then, here's what he doesn't do. Hey, I'm going to do this great work. I'm going to make you change. I'm going to really uh, uh, shift who you are and transform who you are. Now, take a seat on the recliner right there, turn on Netflix and just, you know, relax. It it compels us. It moves us. And where does it move us? It moves us outward in ministry. We'll see in the text. We saw it this fall. Both of those things are true. This ongoing inward transformation along with this ongoing outward ministry. Um, and uh, these two things play off of one another, which is why there's momentum with this. And you see this in other areas of life where, um, like with uh, it's basketball season, it's the greatest time of the year right now because basketball is in full swing now, college basketball's on. And you see these people, somebody said it the other night, if they could just get one shot to fall, you know, sometimes one shot opens it up and sure enough, uh, team made a basket and then they start making baskets, making baskets. It just, it has this momentum, right? So in the same way, when God does a work inside of you and then propels you outward, um, what you find is there's a momentum to that because how many of you went and served with Harvey stuff and said, oh yeah, I'm basically the same person after that is what I was before. Nobody said that. When you step out to serve, it's one of the things that God uses to, to leverage deep inner transformation inside of us. 
And then the more that we're transformed on the inside, the more what? The more our field of vision begins to focus outwardly and on and on. So there's, this, there's that kind of momentum. Here's what I will say about this, though. Um, it's true here in the book of Acts. Uh, it's true uh, with our church family. None of this is possible apart from the Holy Spirit. None of it. That's going to be kind of the theme of the series. And really, the book is called The Acts of the Apostles. Maybe it should be called The Acts of the Holy Spirit Through the Apostles. But because really, it's the Holy Spirit at work through the people of Jesus. That's really what this is. And so, um, none of it's going to, none of this outward, excuse me, ongoing inward transformation or ongoing outward ministry is going to be possible apart from the Holy Spirit. And honestly, church family, listen. I don't want to get to a place where we do ministry that's possible apart from the Holy Spirit. Anybody with me on that? So furthermore, I don't want to, I don't want to, it's not that, that who we were before Harvey was a bad thing. It's just, I don't want to go back because God moved in us and, and taught us and shaped us and formed us and did some things in us and through us that I don't want to go back. And here's some, th- I just jotted some things down. See if you would agree with any of these with me. Uh, uh, one of the big things, I think we are more dependent today on God than we've ever been before as a church family. God, if you don't come through, God, if you don't move, God, if you don't provide, God, if you don't heal, God, if you don't um, do this or if you don't do that, I mean, we will not make it. I think we are more dependent today than ever before, certainly in my tenure here as a pastor. Um, I think we believe God for bigger things than we ever have before. I think that was evidence in testimonies last week. Um, one of the stories that didn't get told uh, but uh, was kind of reflected in, in uh, what Heather shared last week about working in the kitchen during Harvey. There was a time when uh, the kitchen gals, uh, if they needed something, they would gather and they would pray and then they would clear off space on the counter because they fully expected it to come walking through the door. We want to live like that, not just during a hurricane, but like we want to live like that. That's, that's, good, that's good work there. So we're believing God uh, for bigger things. Um, I think we're more outwardly focused than ever before. Again, certainly in my tenure here. We look around and we see um, the community. Folks, there are 500 plus thousand people here in our little section of town. What we've, somebody coined this term and we've picked it up. The 4B area from the, from the Galveston Bay um, to Brazoria County, from the Beltway down to the beach, that little section of town, 550-ish thousand, uh, somewhere between 500 and 550,000 people. Over 50% identify themselves as no religious affiliation. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands of lost people. It's going to take churches with outward focus. And I think that's one of the things God made us, helped us to do. I, I think we see needs better than we ever have before. And, and I think that we pitch in and we serve and, um, and we help more than we ever have before. And I, I just say, as the pastor of this church, as, as a church member, uh, as somebody who uh, seeks to live this out alongside of you, I don't want to go back. I don't want to. I want to continue to live as God has given us to live. So that's why uh, we're headed into the book of Acts here. 
And so uh, if you'll join me, we're just going to take three verses this morning, um, just as kind of the overall intro into what we're going to see throughout the book. If you're thinking to yourself, three verses, the book is 28 chapters long. We're never It'll be 2028 before we finish. No, it won't be that long. It'll be 2026. It'll be fine. Uh, mostly kidding. All right, you ready? Uh, it, verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Let's just pause right here. Who wrote the book of Acts, somebody? Luke, okay. And then who? the first book that he's talking about is what book? Luke, okay, so now we're up to speed, okay? So he writes the first book to Theophilus, and what is he writing about? He's writing about Jesus' earthly ministry. And then he writes the second book called The Acts of the Apostles, or The Acts of the Holy Spirit Through the Apostles, and what's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus' earthly ministry. It's just through the church now, instead of Jesus in bodily form. You with me on this? And I say that because in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus did what? Began to do and to teach. What's the implication there? He's not done. Church family, look at me. We're going to go through this book called the Acts of the Apostles, and guess what we're going to see? Jesus is not done. He's not done doing the things that he was given to do. He is not done uh, uh, with the work uh, that is going on in the earth. Jesus is not done. And you and I get to be a part of it. Think about that. We get the incredible privilege to join him him in what he's doing. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He's not done, but we're gonna, verse two, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, To the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about uh, the kingdom of God. So uh, with with the heart of this series as inward transformation and outward ministry, again, which we'll see over and over and over and over and over again, and with this sense that Jesus is not done, he began to do and to teach. Here's the question. How? How does he continue to still work and still teach? How does he do this? And that's really what I want to get to today. So I'm going to turn this text kind of on its head. Let's start with the whole teaching side. If you and I are to experience inward transformation and be a part of outward ministry, teaching is going to be a part of this, and Jesus is going to continue to teach us. But how? How does he go about doing this? Here we are in verse 3. You ready? He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Let's stop right there. Teaching, when it comes to this, starts with this, this kind of uh, a rootedness in the revelation of God. Please hear me when I say and use the word revelation. We're using that in a broad sense, not in a title sense. So don't think like the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Think like Jesus revealed himself to his people. We are rooted in the revelation. That's what it says. He appeared to them. Um, he, he presented himself to them uh, alive after suffering by many proofs and so on. Um, where does that start? Well, it starts, clearly it starts with objective truths. He presented himself alive um, after his sufferings, and he did so with many proofs. There's objective truths that you and I need to hold on to. Uh, two that are here, presented here in this text, and the two that the church just, I mean, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. The two truths uh, that they held on to were this. You ready? Number one, Jesus died. That's what he says. He's, after his suffering, what kind of suffering did he go through? Suffering on the cross and ultimately he died. And secondly, he came back from the dead. He presented himself alive to them. 
Now, here's what I never want to get over. I never want to get past. I never want to forget. I, I, I never want to um, minimize or say, oh, that's childish or that's just the first step. No, 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 no. We never want to get over those two things. Jesus died and he rose. The entire book of Acts, that's the message that they preach over and over and over again. He died and he's alive again. He died, he's alive again. We come to the table like we did earlier. You know what we say? He died and he's not still dead. He's alive again. We're doing this in memory of him, not because it's a memorial, but because he's alive today. He's with us and we get to celebrate this. So these objective truths, he's alive, uh, he, he died and he's alive. We have these objective truths in, in the scriptures that he's given us. He, he's that's what, that it, what he left this word for us. But, but seeing it on the page doesn't necessarily mean uh, uh, believing it. Did you know that there are people who read the Bible and they don't believe what it says? They see it just like we see it, but they don't believe it. Why? Because physical eyes and spiritual eyes aren't always in sync. Thus, we walk by faith and not by sight. And just pastorally, can we just hold on just a second? Let's just a moment here. There are parts of the Bible that are really hard to understand. Anybody with me on that? There are parts of the Bible I read and I'm like, I don't understand that. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that I can't believe that it's true, though. God, I believe that it's true. I just don't have, I really don't know what it says. I'm like, I believe this is truth. I'm just not sure how I'm supposed to engage with it right here. Sometimes you'll pick up your Bible and you're like, God, I don't understand this at all. There are parts I don't understand. I I don't understand some of the prophecy stuff. I don't understand why people prayed the way that they did sometimes in the Psalms. I'm like, golly, I've never seen anything like that come across my radar. I believe that he prayed this way. I just don't know why. Like there are just parts of it, but that doesn't mean it's not true. I believe it. I believe it. So we have to... um, engage kind of at that level, on this spiritual level to say, uh, God, we believe these objective truths, but we don't want to just see them with our, our physical eyes. We want to see them with our spiritual eyes, because if we only see them with our spiritual eyes, with our physical eyes, sometimes we'll miss it. Here's an example of that. Um, can we turn back to, to Luke's first book, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and look at uh, chapter 24 for just a second? Luke 24 in the first part of, of chapter 24, um, Jesus is raised from the dead. Um, second part of Luke 24, uh, Jesus starts walking beside these guys on the road to Emmaus. And um, they're, they're talking about, oh, Liam, man, can you believe all these crazy things have happened? And Jesus rolls up on them. He's like, hey, what are you talking about? Uh, you have not been around? Where have you been? In a cave or what? What's the deal? Well, no, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, we thought he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. And here they up and killed him. And then some women came and told us that he wasn't there. And then that's where we're going to pick up the story. Verse 24, Luke 24, 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Can we just pause right there and say, the women were right. All right. Let's just put that on record as the women were right. The dudes were wrong, women were right. All right, enough said. Um, My wife's not even here. I'm just giving you credit, all right? I'm just giving you credit. Verse 25. Uh, And then Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to what? To believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Why are you harping on this objective truths thing? Because church family, listen, there are times when we need to open our Bibles so that we can understand who God is and what he's about and get the message uh, from him that we need so desperately. Um, And there are times when we'll pick up the Bible and we'll read it and we're like, I'm not so sure. Our thing is this. We need to see with spiritual eyes into this, not just physical eyes. We need to understand it with our hearts, if you will, not just with our brains. Objective truth, absolutely crucial. But getting this objective truth, if you will, has to be, uh, we have to spiritually um, receive this. They, the people here on the Emmaus Road, they saw him and they didn't know him because they were only seeing with physical eyes and not with, not with the spiritual. So back to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> not only are these kind of objective truths important, and if we know nothing else, let us know that Jesus died and that he rose again. Uh, but, but there's a second part of this. At the middle of part of verse 3, he presented himself to alive, suffering by many proofs. Again, that he died, he proved it to them from the scriptures. Hey, the Christ was supposed to die. Can't you see that? And then he presented himself alive. What better proof that he's alive than standing right there before him, talking to him? And then he just says this, appearing to them for how long? What's it say? 40 days. 40 days. And when I, the reason I point that out is because there's a time factor involved here. A time factor, meaning what? Uh, If we're rooted in revelation and going to experience inward transformation and then see it compel us outward, there's a time factor involved. I I think it would have been enough. I really do. I think it would have been enough for Jesus to show up in the upper room somewhere and disciples be gathered gathered around. Jesus just show up and be like, voila, I'm alive. Go tell everybody. And they would have been like, holy cow, that guy, we saw him die. We've been hiding and now he's alive. We got to go tell some people. But he didn't just do that. 40 days. Why? Why 40 days? Because there is a power that, that exposure to the truth over time has to shape our life. And you can think about rivers as they cut the landscape. You can think about glaciers. You can think about any number of illustrations for this. But the deal is, is that exposure over time, uh, truth has the, the power, uh, um, it has power over time to shape us into, into who, um, who God wants us to be. I, I say that because 40 days seems like a long time. I mean, like you th- would think on day one, maybe they'd get it. No, no, no. 40 days. He kept showing up saying, hey, I'm alive. Get ready. Here's why. If they were going to give their lives to this cause, and if they were going to give their lives for this cause, which all of them did, they needed to know and I mean deep down in their bones, no. When they got cut, they needed to bleed this truth. They needed to know that Jesus had died and that he had come again. He had been raised from the dead. There was a time factor involved. Pastorally, can I just make an application here? Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up praying. Don't give up sharing. Don't give up modeling for those around you. I've been praying for him for 35 years. May the 36th year be the year that he comes to know Jesus then. 
Keep praying because truth over time has power to shape a life. Man, I just, I mean, I've been living this out for so long and I just don't know that it's making any difference in the life of my kid because he's still out there being crazy or whatever. Truth over time has a power to shape lives. Don't give up. I've shared the gospel with this guy. It's got to be 25 times. May it be the 26th time that he comes to know Jesus then. Don't give up. Truth over time has a power to shape people's lives. There was a time factor, 40 days. 40 days. He was around demonstrating to them, teaching them, demonstrating to them that he had died and he was alive. And that changed everything, changed the world. Lastly, um, he says the last phrase here in, in verse three, in speaking to them about the kingdom of God, there's a kingdom story. There's a story that's being told. He tells them about the kingdom. Um, uh, this is a narrative, if you will, about what the king was up to and how they could play a part. He wasn't just looking backward. He wasn't just looking forward. We know this um, from all of the rest of his teaching. Jesus describes the kingdom and he says crazy stuff like the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God is among you. It's not just coming one day and it's not something that happened there in the past. It's a reality to be lived in and experienced right now. So instead of uh, looking backwards or, or looking forward, instead we're looking for the kingdom everywhere we go because Jesus is at work, right? That's what, that's what he's doing. And so how, how will we know when we see it? Well, it sounds like um, some of the testimonies from last week. It sounds like uh, people singing praise songs in the middle of a flood. It sounds like uh, people clearing space on a kitchen counter so that God could provide. It sounds like uh, people walking out of their house with all their possessions in a backpack and then looking for ministry opportunities. I mean, it sounds like those kinds of things. And wherever we see it, we go, that's the kingdom. Oh yeah, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Those are the, he's telling that story so that they can get it. Let's be clear about a couple of things here as we roll into this new year and start this new series. The kingdom is not of this world world. That's what Jesus told Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. So let's begin 2018 with a hope in a king and not in a government. With me on that, everybody? Let's hope in a king. Let's not hope in a government. Secondly, his kingdom, though, is in this world, and it's invading this world. And how is that happening? Through you and through me. When we go out and we serve, when we go out and experience the transformation uh, that God has for us and wants to work in us, that's how the kingdom comes in this world. He's telling a story. And when we, um, when we hear that story, we get this opportunity uh, to participate with him in it. So, okay, so that's, that's the first part of teaching is that he roots us in this revelation, this object of truth over time uh, and about the kingdom. The second part of his, the way that he teaches us, look at verse two, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands, how did he give commands? What's it say? Through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So there's a, a rootedness in the revelation, but also there has to be this sensitivity to the spirit of God. Again, because the, uh, um, uh, the Spirit is at work, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit so that we can really see Jesus for who he is and see it. And, and um, I, I say that 
there's a couple things that are true. Let me say it this way. There's a couple things that are true about the Holy Spirit in, in believers' lives. Number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to him, experienced the forgiveness that he has for you, made right, drawn into a relationship with God. The Bible says this about you, that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you. You, you, you're part of God's address now. Like you, He lives in you. That's, that's where he gets his mail. And th- that's an important thing because you're not your own anymore. You were bought with a price. Therefore, it says, do things that glorify God with your life. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He um, has come to indwell you. He has come to make things clear to you. Uh, he has gifted you. He empowers those gifts for ministry. All of that's true. If the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, then guess what? We should expect some sort of interaction with this. I mean, just think about that. If God's living inside of you, you ought to expect some sort of interaction. And that's where we are when we talk about sensitivity to the Spirit. I say that because we need to expect the Spirit to speak to us, because He does. He does speak to us. The Spirit does speak to us. That's what He says. He gave them commands by the Holy Spirit. He gave it to them, does it to us. How many of you have ever been in this particular setting right here where you, um, it, it would be at a different church where the preaching's better, I know, but you would say, hey, God really spoke to me. Anybody? Or God really convicted me. What are we talking about? We're talking about the Holy Spirit speaking to his people. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen. This is John 16, verses 13, 14, 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. See, he's going to speak. It's just not going to be on his own authority. But whatever he hears, what's he going to do? He's going to speak. And he, that's the Spirit, will declare to you, who's he going to declare it to? To us. Hello. Um, To us. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. He will take what is mine, he will declare it to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to his people. What does he talk to us about? He talked to us about all sorts of things. He talks to us about big truths, big things, right? And he talks to us about kind of everyday life stuff. Because he lives inside of us, we should expect and can expect him to guide us into the things that he has for us. Um, anybody make New Year's resolutions about food? Anybody? Don't, don't raise your hand, just asking. Do you know that there are entire chapters in the Bible devoted to how we interact with food? And you know what God uses to speak to us about things like food? I mean, he uses the Spirit through the Word to speak to us. I mean, over and over and over and over again. We should expect big things, yes, and everyday life. He's just as practical as he can be. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Just quickly here. Um, we, we need both of these. We need a rootedness in Revelation and who God is. But we also need a sensitivity to the Spirit. Why? Because if you have one without the other, you really, really don't have rails to run on. You really find yourself in a bad place. So if you have rootedness in Revelation without sensitivity, um, typically the kind of things that unfold uh, would be, uh, you would have a, a doctrine without gratitude and praise. The whole reason we understand these truths is to bless God and to, to glorify him. So we would have doctrine without that. Um, you would have a, a clarity without compassion for the people around you. And ultimately, folks, where that typically leads is legalism. We have to do this way. This is how God wants you. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. Question, who did Jesus save his harshest criticism for? Those who were legalistic. 
if you have sensitivity without being rooted in revelation, over on this side, you typically wobble on things that you ought to be really solid on, uh, or you're quiet when you need to speak up, or speak up instead of being quiet. And, and, and typically, where that ends up, instead of legalism on this side, and typically over here, it ends up in, in confusion and compromise. We get confused about things that the Bible makes very clear, things about like what love is, what marriage is, all this kind of stuff. These are important things. And so if we only have claim sensitivity, but we don't have a rootedness in revelation, we need both, folks. We need both. We don't want to be a legalist. We don't want to be compromised. We need to um, live with both of those things. So that is how we experience the transformation of God in our lives is when he teaches us. He speaks to us from his word, and he speaks to us by his spirit. So back to verse one here. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What did he do? He began all this ministry. He began all this work. And so I want to take just half a second here and talk about this kind of ministry. How did he go about doing ministry? And how does he then... How is he going to continue to do ministry? Um, he, He went about doing ministry, this is so important, by his spirit. By his spirit. Um, We'll pick up this verse next week, but just skip down to verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Um, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. His presence with us brings power for ministry. Inward transformation then pushes us outward in ministry. His presence is what brings us his power. He does ministry by his spirit. And there's no other way that we can really do this. I I kind of hinted at this earlier. I'm going to say it again. May we never get so confident in our abilities that we miss an opportunity to be dependent upon God. May that be true of you as an individual. May that be true of us as a church, that we never get so confident in our abilities Never get so excited about our successes that we miss an opportunity to be dependent. Church family, listen, I never want to be the kind of person, I never want to be the kind of church who um, could do what we do without the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. Because at that point, if we can pull off what we're doing without the Holy Spirit, then we can have a religious club on Sunday morning, but we're not having church. It's the Spirit that gives us the power to do the things that He's given us to do. Ministry happens, how? It happens by His Spirit. This is the thing that Jesus is continuing to do. And secondly, again, one more time, may we never be so confident that we miss an opportunity to be dependent. Secondly, He does ministry through His people. He does it by His Spirit, and He does it through His people. As it says, the acts of the apostles, He uses these people to affect transformation in the world. He does inward transformation in them, and then moves them outward in ministry. So it is for them, so it is for us. He does, he does this through His people, and He uses all types. He uses all types of people. In Luke 24, who were the first people to report on the resurrection of Jesus? Who were they? They were women. And one more time, they were right. Guys were wrong, women were right. I mean, nothing much has changed. So um, then, then listen though, women in the first century were not people of status. They were not people who um, could, could even testify in court. And yet here they are being the first witnesses to the resurrection. He uses all types of people. And you say, well, 
but he doesn't use this kind of person. Like, not me. Not with my stuff. So, um, just quickly here. Uh, this is the first page of Acts in my Bible. Can we look at this page at John 21? Just t- turn backward. You may have to turn backward one page. First part of John 21, Jesus shows up on the shore while Peter and them are fishing. Second part of John 21, Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, hey man, let's have a little chat here. If you're not sure if Jesus can use you in ministry, uh, Peter, earlier in John, um, he had denied Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. He had denied Jesus three times. So Jesus grabs Peter, pulls him aside, and says, hey Peter, let's talk for a second. Do you love me? Peter says, yes, I do. Then feed, feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Hey, hey, hey Pete, Pete, lean in. Come here, come here. Do you love me? Uh, awkward. Yes, you know that I love you. Okay, good. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. He asked him a third time, do you love me? This is where we're going to pick it up in verse 17. John 21, verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What was he doing? Three times Peter had denied him. Three times Jesus restored him. And not just restored him, but then commissioned him for ministry. You love me, right? <laughs> you know I love you. Come here, come here, come here. I love you too. Now, now go take care of my people. Three times. This was, um, happened last I, This happened last night. We were, had the TV on. KHOU did a, uh, the Channel 11 CBS station did a thing on some of the stories from Harvey. Um, this particular lady, I think, is, I think her name is Shamika Carter, she was helped by um, uh, somebody in Harvey and couldn't really uh, give anything back. So she shows up outside of HEB, asked the people, said, hey, can I just stand here and hug people? Is that all right? And they're like, uh, sure, go ahead. So she put a sign up, said free hugs, blindfolded herself. And she just stood there like this. People would come up, she'd hug them, God bless you, God bless you. Why did she blindfold her? Because she didn't care who you were, how much money you had, what you drove up in, um, how much groceries you had in your car afterwards, what your hair color was, whether or not you had hair, uh, how old, how young, how skinny, how fat. She didn't care. She just stood there willing to give hugs. And we're kind of talking about it as a family last night. That's kind of a cool story in it. I mean, here she is giving hugs. I'm going to bed last night. Something just pops in my mind. I mean, that... That's almost Christ-like, right? Almost. I'm thinking about that, going, yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. Jesus wasn't blindfolded when he looked at Peter. In church, he's not blindfolded when he looks at you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you've done and still chooses to embrace you and then turn you around and say, now, get back in the game. Go take care of my people. Go do ministry. Inward transformation, outward ministry. He's seen you. He knows you. And he still chose. The table says, 
He still chose to embrace you. And then he turns you around and sends you out into ministry. If you think that you're not qualified for ministry, you're listening to somebody other than Jesus. And there's a world out there that's in desperate need of it. So we're going to capitalize on momentum, Lord willing, through the book of Acts. And we're going to see God do some great stuff. I'm going to pray. We'll sing just a verse and then we'll take up our offering together, okay? Let's pray. Um, God, thanks for a few minutes here in your word. Uh, Please continue to work it deep down inside of us because there's so many of us here that need it. God, there are people here this morning who need to know how much you have uh, done for them, how you desire to envelop them with your big, strong, nail-pierced arms. To know that as we sang a while ago, they can come as they are to you. No pretense. No craziness. And what they'll find is an embrace. There are others here, Father, who need to hear you say to them, hey, it's time to feed my sheep. Get back in the game. Jump in. Speak up. Do something. Live it out. Be outward in ministry. Thank you for all the things that you've done this fall. And God, I pray that as you work transformation in us, that we would then be agents of transformation in the world. However you want to move now, Spirit, would you do it? Seal up the work in the word of Jesus here. We ask this in his name.